This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everyone? The special crossover episode, Silver Screen and Roll and Clips Nation, uh, doing a thing, talking about the Lakers and the Clippers. I'm Chapon, as always. And with me, I have Sabrina from Clips Nation and from Silver Screen and Roll and from various other things. What's up, Sabrina? I'm doing well. How about you? I am doing all right. It's getting cold in the Midwest, and that's where I live right now, so that sucks. But aside from that, the Clippers have looked mostly okay, except for one <laughs> exception. Um, Rob is also here. Rob, how you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm very tired because I was up late uh, last night watching the, the horrible uh, Clippers Suns game doing the recap, doing a podcast. I didn't get to sleep till like 2.30, and uh, it, it's really rough. I mean, it's, it's first world problems, definitely, but uh, I'm pretty tired. I mean, yeah, I think we can all feel you as far as watching teens, doing some reporting, and being up later than necessary for it. But that game was frustrating. We're here to talk about kind of the Lakers and the Clippers and just how they've looked and how they looked against each other. Sabrina, me and Rob kind of talked about it earlier in our previous pods as far as how uh, the Clippers and the Lakers looked against each other. What did you feel about that game and how that game looked, even though it was a few days ago? How did you feel about that game? I think you have to feel really good as the Clippers coming out of that game just because all of the weaknesses that the Lakers have, the Clippers appear very ready to pounce on every single one of them. Like the fact that the Lakers lack capable ball handlers. Well, the Clippers have a ton of perimeter players who are really good at applying pressure. And mm-hmm. the fact that the Lakers um, are a little uh, – their defensive scheme, you know, is willing to allow mid-range jumpers. I mean, that just leaves tons and tons of space for Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams to do their thing. Right. So, I mean, I know it's just the first game of the season and these teams are going to look awfully different by the time the playoffs come around or even by the time, like, Christmas comes around, which I believe is their second meeting. But it – I don't know. If I were a Laker fan, the Lakers should not feel very, very good about how that went down. Right, right. And I think, I think we've talked about also the Lakers' size. That was the first thing that we kind of noticed. Of course, they went to the post like a billion times in that first quarter. It was ridiculous. And they were fairly effective. I mean, they were winning that first quarter pretty, um, pretty easily until the bench mob came in and kind of cleaned things up a bit, made the score a little bit closer uh, to end the first quarter. Now the Lakers have also played the Jazz, um, who have their own questions going in for that team, which is a separate podcast. But now that you've had another game to kind of watch the Lakers, and what have been your biggest strengths that you've kind of noticed, you know, aside from the obvious LeBron James and Anthony Davis, is that size factor like we kind of felt initially kind of the Lakers' MO as of now, aside from just doing obvious pick and roll over and over to death between Davis and LeBron? Yeah, I honestly think the Lakers are better suited when they don't try to play big. Like that second half against Utah, the second right. game they played this season, when they started with Anthony Davis at center and LeBron at power forward and then Danny Green at the three, I think that was their most effective lineup by far of, you know, the, the 96 minutes they played thus far. So, you know, obviously small sample sizes. Right. But, I mean, 
like I, I understand that the Lakers are big and that's an advantage against certain opposition, but Anthony Davis is best utilized as a center. LeBron James is best utilized as a power forward. And they have enough perimeter players to make those items work, not for 48 minutes at a time, but for good chunks of a game. So I, I honestly, I, I like it better when they play a little bit smaller. I don't think that they're necessarily best suited to just go big all the time because it's not like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard are you know, world beaters at the five. They're like perfectly right. adequate centers to play during an 82 game regular season. But even then, like you're not going to get 48 good minutes out of the two of them combined in one game. So there's going to be plenty of, oppor- plenty of opportunities for Davis to play center. And I think that's something that obviously he says he doesn't want to do, but he wants to win and Frank Vogel needs to win to keep this job. So I imagine <laughs> it's going to be happening more and more as the season progresses. Yeah. feels like it. And Rob, I think we had a nice little shine after that Lakers win against the Warriors where we just like beat the hell out of them, which proved not to particularly be the biggest aberration because Oklahoma city did it even more effectively today. (laughs) The Warriors look like they have problems defending anything. And with their roster, it's not particularly surprising. Maybe the more eye-opening game was last night's game against a Phoenix team that, you know, maybe won't suck this year. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think people are jumping a little bit ahead of themselves there as well. I think certainly Monty Williams will help a lot. He's a good coach. Um, I thought he was always a good coach. I think one of the Pelicans' bigger mistakes of this decade was letting him go, even though Alvin Gentry is also a good coach. Um, And certainly they've brought in some actual competent NBA rotation players like Dario Saric and Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines, and those guys will all help a lot. I think we're jumping the gun a little. I mean, there's always a couple teams to start the year who look like they're going to be solid and then fall apart. The Grizzlies last year, I think, start out like six and six before collapsing. The Magic, like two or three years in a row, started out eight and four or something before becoming awful. So, you know, it's still very early. This applies to the Clippers as well. Um, But I think they'll definitely – I don't think they're going to be a gimme this year. I don't think they're necessarily going to be great, but um, they're certainly not going to be a pushover. And uh, the Clippers were, were really bad. I thought the Suns played well, and they deserved the victory, but the Clippers, uh, their defense was really bad. Um, yeah. And offensively, I think the bench is going to put up numbers. You know, you have Lou and Trez and shooters. That's a winning formula. I think this, the starting lineup doesn't really have an identity yet outside of Kawhi Leonard is really good and he'll be able to score. That's something they need to build. Maybe that's something that will come just by adding in Paul George. Uh, I think they're a, a little bit to be concerned about through three games. I don't think there's anything earth-shattering, but I think, uh, you know, there's some questions to be had um, about Zubats's role on the team, about what the Clippers are trying to do with Landry Shamit and his un- inability to really get open. Um, Pat Beverly kind of passing up threes, which has happened in, in all three games so far, and is something that can't happen. Um, there, there are various minor things that are going on, but overall, I don't think Clippers fans should be feeling really one way or another. I thought the Lakers win was really good. The Warriors win looked good, but apparently they're not any good. So that doesn't matter. And then the Suns is a pretty bad loss. So on aggregate, I, I think they're about, they're coming out around even right now. Yeah. Uh, Sabrina, do you have any thoughts about the Clippers? Just the last few games, um, aside from that Laker game, you see the the Warriors game and, and yesterday's game, maybe giving you some second thoughts as far as maybe initial impressions or just more of the same? What do you think, Sabrina? I'm still a little surprised at how 
unfluid the offense looks whenever Lou Williams is not on the floor. Like, I know – I just assumed that when Kawhi Leonard got here that whenever he was on the floor, the Clippers would look like world beaters. And not to say that that can't be the case, but it's just when, when Lou's not on the court, the offense sticks a little. And it kind of makes me realize that there were a lot of really good playmakers in that Toronto starting lineup, like Lowry and even Gasol and Siakam can do things. Mm-hmm. And the Clippers don't really have that in their starting lineup. And I mean, obviously this will look very different when Paul George joins. Uh, so it's not like an immediate concern, but like that Laker game, Lou had to play 37 minutes in game one of the season, which is astounding. And I I mean, obviously he's available to do that in the playoffs. Like, it's not a problem. He doesn't look like he ever even breaks a sweat, frankly. But just the fact that the offense still seems very dependent on him was a little weird. Yeah, it's kind of funny how much the Clippers have changed, but they almost haven't changed because we had a lot of these same questions last year with the starting lineup last year, particularly before the trade, the Mm midseason trade, and even after the midseason trade, where it felt like a lot of our offense came from our second unit. And now, you know, I think they put 60-plus each game, uh, the bench Mm -hmm. have, and the starters, you know, haven't looked terrible, but – uh, it's just a lot of Kawhi watch. And I think we kind of expected to do some of that ISO, ISO ball with Kawhi coming in, but it's been a lot of it. And, you know, Rob, we, you know, we were all, already talking about the lack of fluidity that we were preparing to see uh, with Kawhi Leonard, a ball stopper kind of coming to this team. And initially, you know, he's, he's had some great assist numbers, but, you know, that first unit kind of looks like Sabrina's saying, a little step slow uh, without Lou Williams in there running his usual pick and rolls. And then when Lou doesn't have it, like he didn't have it yesterday, the team kind of looks a mess. Um, This clearly will change with Paul George coming to the roster. You know, it's easy to forget that Paul George uh, is just waiting in the wings. Um, He's another, obviously, a a very good playmaker. But it does leave some questions uh, as far as, what the Clippers need to do going forward. What, are we, what should you think there are any obvious rotation changes for Doc um, before Paul comes back? I think, you know, Chris wrote an article, um, God bless Chris, he's such an optimist. Um, <laughs> right, right. On Clips Nation about Patrick Patterson. And I do <laughs> I was, think, considering, yeah. you know, that they picked him up at the end of summer on a minimum after two really, really bad seasons in Oklahoma City, especially last season, he was not an NBA level player. Um, considering that, I think he's been really good so far, but he should not be starting on this team. I don't get it. I like, I think Doc is trying to preserve the second unit as it is, which is Lou, uh, Mo, Trez, and Jermichael Green, um, which might be an indicator that when Paul George does come back, that they're going to start him and Kawhi at the three and four and maintain Beverly and Shamit, um, and that he's doing this to kind of keep those rotations intact. But I just don't get it. Um, Patrick Patterson is not nearly as good a player as Maurice Harkless or Jamaica Green. He should not even be a token starter. One of those guys should be starting. If Doc really wants to play him just for size and, you know, his shooting, he can get some minutes off the bench. Uh, But I think he's, you know, it's hard to blame him because he's being asked to do something he's not really capable of, but he's just not a starting level player. Um, He can't take anybody off the dribble. And he's tried a few times to attack closeouts and it's just, it's really tough to watch. Um, yeah. He's really slow. Um, pairing him with Ivica Zubats, who I think has been, you know, kind of like last year has been a little inconsistent in game to game in terms of effectiveness. And Pat Beverly, who is an underrated playmaker and offensive, 
you know, player in general, but is not really somebody who's going to create offense. And Landry Shaman, who's struggling. And it really is all on Kawhi to do stuff right now. And that's part of the problem. Um, so I think adding to Michael Green, or I think really Mo Harkless is the answer, to be honest. Um, just because I think that'll juice the defense a little bit more. And I think he has at least somewhat more ball handling slash passing capabilities than Green or, or Patterson. Certainly not a guy you want to rely on, but maybe a little bit more offensive firepower. Um, so I'd say that, but I think really it's just about getting Landry Shamit going. He's been really quiet, and it's kind of the issue with these guys. Um, the Clippers ran into this all the time when they had J.J. Redick. Right. That when you rely on these off-ball shooters to get going, if they're unable to get on track, it stagnates the whole offense because you're waiting 10 seconds for them to run around all these screens, and then they don't get open, and all of a sudden you know, there's nine seconds left on the shot clock, and you're scrambling to make something work. And that's happened a bunch already. I think teams are doing a really good job at shutting Shamit down. They've scouted him. They have a whole year of reporting on him. So I think that's part of the issue. And I think an underrated thing that, you know, Sabrina did mention is that people really underestimate how good the Raptors were last year. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a team that beat two legitimate title contenders before even facing down the Warriors. Um, you know, the Bucks and Sixers last season were both really, really good teams. And the Raptors beat both of them. And they beat the Bucks by the end of it kind of handily. Um, and I'm not in the school of camp, but thinks if Clay is healthy, that the Warriors win. I think the Raptors win that anyway. Um, Kyle Lowry is probably the most underrated NBA player of this decade. Uh, Pascal Siakam is, he looks like an all NBA player this year, all defense mm-hmm. level player. Um, you know, Marcus was really good last year. Fred VanVleet, you know, they had all these guys and all these ball handlers and playmakers and the Clippers just don't right now. Um, so I think while Kawhi has looked really impressive in terms of just sheer passing in terms of handling an offensive load by himself, I think it does look a little stagnant and a little ISO heavy. So I think a lot of it will just determine on when Paul George comes back. Uh, in the meantime, I don't think they have a ton of options, but I would, I would probably take Patterson out. Yeah, I think I think the idea of taking Patterson out, putting Harkless in. Harkless, who's looked very good most of the time this whole season, uh, I would also appreciate that. Also had the double tap, which has gotten me so excited <laughs> a couple yeah. of games. Ago. Yeah, that was that really was, awesome. That was, that was super cool. And I know that I know that Trez does it, but he kind of does like his own version of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mo just straight up did the double tap from the Miles uh, Q Rich era, which yeah. is cool i can't wait to i hope they kind of cover that on their knuckleheads pod if they do that'd be super super cool um sabrina let's see i kind of want i mean i kind of want to mention the lakers a little bit here too since we wanted to talk about both teams a bit uh, have you noticed anything that they've changed since that clipper game uh, that has that uh, that has um kind of popped up is avery bradley the answer i just i, I <laughs> <laughs> sorry i can't I can't stop. We need to stop. We need to stop. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Avery Bradley. Is Avery Bradley the answer? That wasn't a legitimate question, right? Yeah, it was. Okay. I mean, Avery Bradley being the starting point guard, like, it's it's fine. You know, I feel (laughs) like uh, he definitely thinks that he's capable of doing more than he actually is. But on a team with Anthony Davis and LeBron, I feel like that's tempered ever so slightly. Like, there were definitely players on the Clippers better than him last year, but, like, not ones with the reputation of Anthony Davis and LeBron. So he kind of, like, can't afford to go off the way he has in previous situations or, you know, like, handle the ball the way he did in Memphis because there's just 
there's just an opportunity for that. And I think Vogel's done a decent job of not really giving him the green light to do anything yet. So that's nice. Um, defensively, I mean, I guess he's been fine. Like, I don't I, It's, I mean, the, the solution for the Lakers really is just to play more Alex Caruso. Like that's the very <laughs> clear solution. Right, right. And, uh, but the problem that's kind, is, that kind like, of, that's not even a joke, right? Like this is, yeah. that's like the legitimate answer. Yeah. I, the problem is, it's like, there just aren't enough healthy perimeter players with Kuzma and Rondo out to avoid playing Bradley. And like whatever he takes away, you know, on offense, like he's, he's kind of been okay on defense this season and like certainly better than uh, Quinn cook and Troy Daniels have been thus far. So as much as like, I don't think Avery Bradley is the answer in a playoff rotation. I, I think for, for the time being, the Lakers are sort of stuck with him and you know, it is what it is. How does it feel like rooting for a team where your best player is Danny Green? <laughs> Danny Green is awesome. He's um, really, good. I, uh, really good. I sort of got over that. See, the thing is, okay, um, I, I went to Duke, obviously, and Danny Green and I overlapped for two years when he was at Carolina. Oh, I did not know this. Yes. And so he, along with Tyler Hansborough, was part of a group that won four straight games at Duke. So two of them when I was there and just really obnoxious. One of those players you just really grow to hate. Um, but I don't know if this ever happens to you, Rob, like when you are so aggressively anti somebody in college and then like they get to the professional level and there's no good reason for you to hate them anymore. So all of that emotion has to go somewhere. And so I've really just gone full circle on Danny. Like even when he was on San Antonio, which is one of my favorite players to watch in the mm-hmm. league. And he's, I mean, he's just, he's just damn good. <laughs> like, he's, he's really, really good. capable um, of playing like, 30 plus minutes regularly, you know, like that would be great. Um, I know they're trying to limit him sub 30, you know, which makes sense. He's like 33 years old. It's yeah. important to pace, pace yourself this season. It's just the, the Lakers look so much better when he's on the court versus not on the court. He does everything right. Like, I mean, he obviously can't handle the ball that well, but there were some moves where he like attacked closeouts against the Clippers mm-hmm. or yeah. you know, he's always in the right spot. Like he cuts, he keeps the ball moving. Um, he defensively, like he can guard up a position. It's, I, I just really find myself watching Danny Green and think like, Oh, I would have done that differently. Like the, the, those situations just don't exist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a reason he was a, a very key part of two championship teams. Um, mm-hmm. He's really, really good. And uh, I thought it was hilarious uh, during the summer when everybody's, you know, the big three with uh, LeBron, AD and Kyle Kuzma. And like, is Kyle Kuzma ready to be the third place? It's like, what, pump the brakes a little bit. Danny <laughs> Green is way better than Kyle Kuzma. Oh, yeah, right absolutely, now. absolutely. And I say that absolutely, as somebody yeah. who actually likes Kyle Kuzma. Like, he seems like a really cool guy. Uh, he definitely has a lot of talent. And I think defensively, he's probably better than the jokes make him out to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he is not as good as Danny Green <laughs> um, no, no, on, on either end of the court. And especially not as like, like a complimentary uh, piece. Right. To those yeah. Two, um, so. I mean, Danny Green's really good. As for the question about college, uh, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, I, I hated Draymond Green in college, and I continue to hate Draymond Green. Okay, yeah. But he's um, also, like, still, like, on a rival team of the Clippers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's different. Um, Gary Harris was really good at MSU um, and always just vaguely annoyed me, but he's really fun to watch. I really like him on the Nuggets. So I guess that's the closest kind of um, comparison. Like, Gary Harris is really fun. I also love Jaron Jackson Jr., Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's a little after my time at when he was at MSU, yeah. but um, yeah, I mean, 
it's tough for me just because I'm very into Michigan, but I don't watch like that much college basketball, like maybe maybe 15 to 20 games a year um, for Michigan. Like, And I don't get too wrapped up in it just because college basketball is like almost a different sport in just game-to-game results and how just weird stuff happens that would not happen in the NBA. Um, but, yeah, I mean, every once in a while that happens. So I, I definitely understand the, the, the love for a formal – former uh you know hated adversary i think it happens yeah. with uh with jj reddick all the time where he just comes into places and it's like oh that guy he was on deep forever <laughs> though everybody hated him and it's like no jj reddick is like really good and like everybody just kind of likes him um so i don't think it's that weird i think the college prejudice kind of stuff fades away um, yeah I, I went to uc irvine so aside from being a decent stopping ground for some kids of cron butler and doc rivers uh it's not 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 really uh not really a great place for college sports we decided to make a uh, a science library instead of having a football team many years ago very so, nice very a nice. smart decision <laughs> smart decision um, but uh yeah i think history is gonna look well, on that decision. Yeah, I, I hope so. I think so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think something that was really interesting about the Clippers-Lakers game, returning to that a little, is that it was a really good showcase of the weaknesses of each team as well as the strengths. Um, you know, as Sabrina mentioned, the Clippers were really able to attack with their size on the wings and uh, exploit the Lakers' lack of, of wing depth and, and size there outside of Danny Green. And then the Lakers, I mean, went to the post too much, but they were able to show how you can kind of take advantage of the lake of the Clippers big man um, on the inside. I don't think AD or LeBron is remotely afraid of driving into the paint against anybody on the lake on the Clippers roster. And uh, that's something that's kind of borne out the past couple games as well, especially yesterday. Um, but I just don't know. I mean, do you think when push comes to shove that, Anthony Davis will play the five um, in big minutes, or is that something that does seem kind of insurmountable at this point? Yeah, I think he's absolutely going to be playing the five in clutch time for important games. Like, I understand why the Lakers wouldn't want to do that to start the season because they did pay a lot of lip service to the fact that they were trying to make Anthony Davis happy and he doesn't want to play center. So (laughs) I guess game two was (laughs) the, the right answer for that. Uh, you know, situation, mm-hmm. but it just yeah, it just sucks because like the Lakers built their roster this season. I mean, I don't. I have a lot of questions about how they built their roster, but <laughs> um, there definitely was a consideration. Like, we're going to be playing Anthony Davis at power forward, so we should put our resources into building lineups where Anthony Davis is the power forward, and that leaves you with this lack of wing depth, like you mentioned, right? Like, it's just like this glut of guards that can't play the three and even Danny Green's like not technically a three, but he can, you know, he can, you know, resemble one on occasion, right? right. Like when he guarded Kawhi Leonard, that was, it was fine. Obviously nobody can really effectively guard Kawhi Leonard one-on-one. Nobody's asking Danny Green to do that, but he's capable of making things at least a little challenging for Kawhi, make him expend a little effort, which is all you really want. And he's the only guy on the Lakers that can do that. And it's just impossible to imagine like when the Clippers have Paul George there aren't two players I mean if LeBron's not going to play defense during the regular season which thus far it seems like he doesn't want to play defense during the regular season I don't see how you're going to have enough wing defenders to not just completely run Danny Green into the ground or give up a lot of points during the regular season yeah 
Well, I think I think one thing that I kind of noticed, and the Lakers kind of went away from, probably because the Clippers were packing the paint. How how often can you just post up Anthony Davis like without him just falling apart? And it's kind of like one of my questions because I feel like effectively nobody can guard him in the post. If you force him outside in perimeter and let him take shots, it's kind of what you want to do. But you know, the idea after that Clipper game is like, well, they didn't get him in the post enough. They probably should have kept getting him in the post because nobody's tall enough to guard him. But how much of that is his game? How good of a of a passer could he even be to like JaVale McGee in that kind of, you know, mini, not short role, but just when they double, they'll double team him on the post with a defender, whoever, whoever's guarding McGee, how good of a passer is he then? I think I just have some questions about how good Davis is in this in this system. And have you kind of felt as far as what he can do and his capabilities as far as being a number one option on a team like this? I think ideally he and LeBron would just run pick and rolls to death. Right. That too. (laughs) I mean, that seems like the best situation, but understandably that puts a lot of toll on LeBron to run that offense over and over again, because Davis is not going to be the ball handler in a majority of those possessions. So that's tricky without, you know, Rondo in the starting lineup because nobody else really knows how to run a pick and roll there. Uh, I thought he was really good in the post. I mean, obviously it's not like the most beautiful basketball to watch, um, makes mucks up the game a little bit. It also seems like it's quite a physical burden on Davis to keep posting up over and over again. Like, especially when you have for whatever Patrick Patterson's faults are, he's a bulky enough guy, you know? So it's, that's a hard thing to do. Possession after possession is continuously post up. And mm-hmm. for a team that wants to preserve Anthony Davis and like, you know, is trying to prevent him from having to deal with the wear and tear of playing the five, that seems like a strange way of going about it to just make him post up like a center does anyway and continue to handle that physical stress. Like I think we were talking about this in the silver screen chat the other day. Uh, he still has to like work incredibly hard on offense in that system. Whereas it seems like if they were to play pick and roll more often, that would be less of a physical burden on him. And maybe the floor would open up a little bit more if they did play him at the five, which is, it's not counterintuitive. It's just like a weird way of thinking about like the positionless basketball that works in the NBA now. And like posting him up over and over again, like I, I get that that works most of the time, but like it just completely marginalizes whatever JaVale McGee can do. Like it doesn't right. really make sense for him to be out there. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a work in progress, right? Like two games yeah. in and like, obviously they found things that work for Davis, which is great. Like you, you want to find things that you can come back to, but there's still a lot of, experimenting to be done in order to make this more efficient for everyone involved. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the question just kind of in general for people in Los Angeles is how these two, how these two teams match up and what they're going to do going forward. I guess I can start with you, Sabrina. Do you see the Lakers possibly as, as being a top three seed this season once they work their kinks out? Where do you see them kind of falling, uh, falling as the season goes on? Obviously, it's early. We can't say for certain. There's a billion things that can happen, so many intangibles. But regular season-wise, where do you kind of see them falling uh, as the year goes on? So I started the season thinking they'd sort of land in the 4-5 range, um, around like 51-52 wins. And I haven't really seen anything to – you know, go away from that prediction so far. Uh, I just don't think they have the depth to really last in the regular season, like teams like Denver or even the Clippers or just someone who cares about the regular season as much as James Harden does in Houston. So 
that's sort of where I see them landing that four or five. And yeah, I mean, I still think they're, they're good enough to land there and it shouldn't be an issue if they have like the four seed in one round of home court in the playoffs. Yeah. I like them four or five. Rob, where do you think the Lakers are going to land once the dust settles? Probably around that area. They're going to win a lot of regular season games just because of LeBron and AD. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say like low fifties wins total. I think they and the Clippers are going to be right in the same ballpark. Clippers may be a little bit ahead due to their bench, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I mean, I'd say both teams probably anywhere from three to five. So yeah, I mean, I'd say low fifties, you know, a, a decent seed. I don't think the Lakers are really afraid of any Western conference team, except maybe the Clippers. So um, I don't think they care about seeing that much. I mean, LeBron historically has not really cared about seeding, right. even though he's maybe not prime LeBron. I don't think he's necessarily going to start caring about that right now. Like, I don't think they're worried about playing the Nuggets in Denver or something. Or I was going to say the Jazz. I mean, the Jazz have not looked great so far. But um, yeah, really any of those teams. I, don't, I just don't think they are remotely scared of any of them. So um and I don't think the Clippers are really scared of any other team either. Maybe not even the Lakers. So um, I honestly not, don't Not think... even the Suns. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were not anticipating uh, the Javon Carter show on defense. or the Javon Frank... Carter is so bad, man. <laughs> He's really bad. I tweeted that from the Clips Nation account. Right. What, Sabrina? When he was, like, pulling up from threes, I was like, I mean, I guess Rubio so doesn't do this, like... Yeah. Yeah. He's really bad. Yeah. Um, anyways, but, anyways, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think both teams are very confident and for good reason um, going into the season. And I think so far, a lot of what we've seen has done a lot to kind of emphasize that because I think a lot of teams that were supposed to be good haven't really looked that good. Um, the Nuggets, I think, have they only played once or twice? I, I haven't really, really caught up with much of the Nuggets. I don't think they've been particularly awesome. The Jazz have kind of struggled. Um, the Rockets have been good, but not really not great really. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and outside of that, I mean, those were kind of considered the top five teams. I mean, Portland is, is a tier below. The Thunder have been shaky. The Kings have been awful. You know, I mean, the Mavs look good, but I, I just don't think yeah, they have enough yeah. around Doncic and, and Porzingis to really be much more than a low-tier playoff team. So, I mean, I think the Clippers and Lakers both have – Weak spots and honestly pretty glaring ones right now. Um, <laughs> but their high end talent is so good. I just don't know if it'll matter even now. Um, and especially going forward, because I think one or both of those teams will see upgrades during the regular season. So and it's very early, but um it's tough to say. Yeah, yeah, do you think what do you think like the logical move would be for the Lakers in terms of adding to the roster outside of Andre Iguodala, who is really the most logical for either team? Um, but outside of him, like, is there a move out there that could help the Lakers and, and kind of bolster their weaknesses? I, the thing is, like, uh, wing defenders are kind of unicorns out there. You know, like, it's, it's very hard to find a player who fits that 3 and D mold, which is what the Lakers would need. Like, that, that's the player. They need, like, a second Danny Green, basically. <laughs> um, and, I mean, like, like you said, Iguodala fits their weaknesses so perfectly because he serves as that – secondary ball handler too in the second unit that they don't appear to have right now um just looking at the rest of the the market it doesn't seem like there's a player that fits all of their needs simultaneously um 
let's say like Memphis decides that they can part ways with Jay Crowder, that might be a nice fit in LA because again, he has the size to sort of defend wing players and I don't think he's going to get a first rounder or anything fantastic as an expiring contract in trade. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's sort of a name that I've thought about, but I mean, really, they just got to hope that Kuzma looks really good when he comes back. <laughs> or, I don't know, maybe, like, they use Norvell a little bit more as a playmaker. Mm, I guess uh, so, yeah. Yeah, like, it's, it's slim pickings, man. Like, I, they had a lot, of, a lot of eggs riding in the DeMarcus Cousins basket. That was man, tough. That was, that was stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it, was it was a really dumb decision by them. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't think they could have anticipated what happened. Right. At least not the off-the-court stuff. I think the injury they could have very easily foreseen. Um, yeah. But that was really puzzling because they really had a ton riding on him. In terms of him being the only guy outside of Kuzma with really any upside uh, on that entire roster – outside of, you know, the young, really young guys who'd be shocking if they contributed. It's like, if the Lakers are going to be really good, mm-hmm. it's probably because DeMarcus Cousins looks really good. And that seemed a pretty foolish bet to be making. Um, and it's cost them, I think. So we'll see. I mean, I think the things just kind of always work out for the Lakers. Um, <laughs> I'm expecting somehow <laughs> um, for that to happen. And I think if there was a buyout, I think Iggy would actually go to the Lakers over yeah. the Clippers. I think seems like it. there's more of a role there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more like a Lakers kind of guy, to be quite honest. But um, it's, it's hard to put into words or really <laughs> anything but a gut instinct. Um, sounds like a standard Clippers defeatism. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I think also the Clippers just like – I mean, obviously you need Andre Iguodala, but for the the Clippers, he's definitely more of a luxury that would really help them. For mm-hmm. the Lakers, he's kind of they kind of need him. Yeah, I just think he'll have more of an opportunity, and that'll that'll yeah. be apparent to him. So that's kind of how I feel. That's why he might pick the Lakers versus uh, versus the Clippers. We have just a billion wings that we can like. Would you really want to play Iguodala ahead of Mo Harkless in the regular season? I don't know. You know, I mean. Actually, right now, maybe because the thing the Clippers are kind of lacking is playmaking and passing. Oh, sure, right. Uh, but that sure. should be alleviated when Paul George comes back. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, I mean, I think he'd still play over – I mean, right now, Doc is riding nine guys, which is also really weird. Um, yeah, all of the Terrence Mann hype has gone nowhere. That was very yeah. interesting to me because Pretty they quick. were talking him up so big, and he has barely played – and he's just played in garbage time. I thought that was really interesting – I mean, there was also a lot of stuff about Jerome Robinson having a great summer. I haven't seen him. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't buy any of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really either, but I mean, man really had a lot of buzz around him. And I did think the last couple preseason games, he wasn't nearly as sharp, but I'm still really surprised that he's gone with a strict nine-man rotation all three yeah. games. I think man almost had like that Shea level buzz. Yeah. Without the pedigree of being a first-rounder, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And I think all the man to Shea comparisons look really bad right now. Three games into the season, <laughs> yeah. And Shea looks Anyways. like an all star like this year, <laughs> and, <Well>. uh, <laughs> and man is riding the pine. Um, well, but- I do. I, I do think we're running a little bit low on time, so I'm going to let Sabrina go. Thanks for joining us, Sabrina. And I think we'll save our predictions for a possible Lakers versus Clippers series until later because it's going to be very premature right now. Oh, yeah. I'm happy but, to come back whenever. For sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably have you on whenever there's a Lakers-Clippers matchup just around then. 
Um, yeah, that's perfect. And we can, yeah, we can talk it up. And uh, yeah, it's good to get some crossover buzz and just, so it's not just the two of us being sad and, and defeated. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sabrina. Just about a championship <laughs> Sure, we'll see. All right, until next time, Sabrina. See you. Thank you Bye, again. Guys. Bye. All right, so a little bit about those last couple of games. We talked in depth for that Laker-Clipper game quite a bit. We probably won't even mention the Lakers now until we see them in Christmas, or I think that's the next game. Um, as far as the Clippers have looked, well, you know, they looked great against the Warriors. Um, that was a fun game. I enjoyed it a lot when it was happening, and pretty much everybody played super well. Um, how do you feel about that Warriors game, Rob? It's, it's kind of tough now in context of what they – just happened to them today when they got blown out by OKC. But yeah, how, how was that game for you? And I still don't think it takes away from the fact that the Clippers played very well. Right. I think they came in with a really good game plan. Their defense on Steph was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they attacked the Warriors' weaknesses very well. I mean, I think they, they played really well. I don't think that should be taken away. That said, the Warriors look like garbage right now. Um, yeah. So the offense in particular, I think maybe – there shouldn't be as big a takeaway on how easily the Clippers were able to score because a Thunder team that just lost at home to the Washington Wizards was able to beat the Warriors by like 30 points. So, um, yeah, things are not going great up north in the Bay Area. But still, I mean, Kawhi looked great. Lou and Trez continued to play really well. Patrick Patterson had the game of maybe not his life, but of probably the past three or four years. Yeah. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, every time the Warriors kind of made a push in the first half and, and early in the third quarter, the Clippers would respond, and then they kind of just blew the doors off. Uh, Jermichael Green was also really good. Really, everybody who played for the Clippers in their nine-man rotation was good. <clears throat> but did you have any particularly strong takeaways? I really didn't. I just thought uh, the biggest highlight was probably their defense on Steph. I thought they did a really excellent job at limiting him. It was great seeing Sham guard Steph again and uh, and knowing that he could do an effective job even this time around. You know, Steph is still Steph. He's going to get off against anybody, but I thought Sham just had a great – that's the kind of guy Sham is good at guarding. Um, <laughs> there aren't many guys like Steph who he can chase off of screens and stay in front of, and Steph isn't particularly strong of build. I think we saw that pretty quickly when, when uh, Sham tried to guard – Booker that, you know, Booker just kind of bullied him a little bit and got to his spots, whereas Steph can't really do that. So he is a good guard for somebody like Steph. And I think Sham's, you know, confidence has gone up just guarding Steph in general after guarding Steph. So that's super cool. Um, And it was also great seeing the offense kind of percolate the most when Sham hit those back-to-back threes. And I feel like that's when we really got rolling. He had that one awesome three where he got a couple of picks um, and went across – I went – across the floor for a corner three that was just like picture perfect Redick-esque play that you'd see and he nailed it and I felt like the team really just got rolling around that time and just blew the socks off uh, the Warriors aside from that you know it was cool that uh, Kevin Gelly got the game ball from from Pat that was also a nice little bit that the Clippers did on their social media Motley and Rome and and Kevin Gelly all hit threes, which is all kind of cool. And the team just played well. Even even Bev, who didn't shoot particularly well, had his imprints all over the game. Um, everyone else just did a really good job. And Kawhi had nine assists, which he topped the next game. And Zubat had a really good showing, 16 and 10, limited minutes, which Doc mentioned was good for his confidence and good for the for Doc even, just to watch him do so well. 
Um, Mo Harkless continue to look good. Everybody played well. So there's really not much to say. It felt like a scrimmage by the end of it because there was just yeah, the no last defense. quarter and a half was a dunk fest. It was really like preseason. Um, it was it was really really bad. Like oh. yeah, um, I think you know Shamus' defense was definitely very good, and I could not agree more. I wrote this in the game preview for the Suns game, but really. And, and we talked about this with Sabrina too, but the Clippers' offense really only looks really good when Shamit gets going. And actually when they started playing better against the Lakers, it was also when Shamit hit a shot or two mm-hmm. and really became more involved in the offense. And that's really when it seems like everything starts coming together. And when he's able to get open, either teams close out too hard and he's able to get free and the offense kind of gets rolling and attacking switches and closeouts, or he's able to just make shots and, you know, points add up as a result of that. And when he's not, it's basically like the Clippers are playing not four on five because he's, he's dragging a defender along with him, but they're waiting for this action that's not developing. Right. And they just don't have that many other offensive threats on the court outside of Kawhi. So they really need to do something to try to get him going. I know it's only three games, but he's been really quiet so far. Um, probably... I'd say a quieter three-game stretch than any he had with the Clippers last year after the trade sure. deadline. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it, but it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so I think getting him going is a real key because I absolutely agree. When, when he's been on, the few times where he's been able to connect and really get involved in the offense so far, that's when the Clippers' starting unit actually looks good. Yeah. So Sham's going to have to be important. I think Doc – I'm sure Doc knows that from so many years of Sham, not just Sham, but J.J., um, and we really were just ball watching with JJ so many times when Redick would just run off of screens and you would just see, especially if Paul wasn't handling the ball, which usually he was, but just a lot of watching JJ. I watched JJ probably almost more than any other Clipper, I feel like, when he was a Clipper because I just watched him move off screens all the time and just seeing what gravity he pulled with him. And uh, it kind of got like that with Sham a lot last year and maybe not so much with him this year because I watch Kawhi a lot more when I'm not when I'm watching the ball. Um, but still, he's definitely an important piece. This Suns game, I mean, was rough. It was I just, really bad. It, it, was, it was bad. There were so many open threes. It just felt like the Suns were just moving really well and the Clippers yeah. just, locked, just lost them all the time. Um, what, were you, what were your takes? I don't think there's any grandiose takeaway from this. I think this is probably a game that they actually would have won last year because they would not have been, for one, they're not like this team with a target on their backs. And two, they never, that I can really remember showed up not looking ready to play last year. I'm sure it happened, but I don't remember it happening quite like this, where it just seemed very visible that they did not take the sun seriously. And didn't seem to have practiced for them or prepped for them. And just the Suns just ran them off the court, really. I mean, it ended up being pretty close, and the Suns didn't really blow them out, but they were in control for basically the entire game, I'd say, and definitely all the second half. And the Clippers never seriously looked like they were going to win that one. It's just the Suns looked better. They looked hungrier, and that's not something that ever happened last year. The Clippers were the hungry team, and that's something I think we do need to watch this year. That being said... I think it could be a wake-up call of sorts. I think the Clippers were very unhappy after the game. I'm sure Doc absolutely lay into them. Kawhi seemed very, you know, disappointed and just frustrated at the effort. 
So I'm not necessarily sure this happens again anytime soon, but it is something to keep an eye on because this is a team now with a lot of pedigree and they're not the underdog. They're the favorite. And that, you know, even with guys as tough and energetic as Beverly and, and Trez and, and really the rest of the roster, sometimes you can get complacent, especially after two really good wins to start the season. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully this is just kind of a swift kick in the butt for the Clippers. It, it was, it was really rough watching the defense. It just felt like, it just felt like somebody was running off the screen really aggressively and one Clipper wouldn't follow. And then it would just kind of slide over to all these missed rotations and Frank Kaminsky hit shooting like five open three pointers. And uh, it was, it was really frustrating to watch at the same time. Like I was just kind of giving kudos to the Suns. The Suns just played their asses off and they're playing really hard. You could tell they wanted this game, every single player on their team. Um, so kudos to them. But at the same time, it was just frustrating to watch the Clippers miss so many assignments on defense and just kind of not rotate and not there was I think there was one one time um to close uh where Pat Patterson wasn't sure who to cover because Lou Williams was covering an angle three and then they swung into the corner I think I'm not sure if it was Booker or maybe Johnson somebody hit a huge three-pointer from the corner and Pat Patterson was like shuffling his feet thinking that Lou was going to swing over to the corner and that he would guard the guard the angle three and then it just left like a completely wide open three point three pointer in the corner that like buried the Clippers some more. It was just so many of those type of plays over and over again. It was frustrating, but at the same time, you know, it's the regular season. Like those games happen. It's, it's easy to get like really upset about one game in the course of a season and say, Oh no, this could hurt our, you know, our tiebreakers and our, and our standings and all this stuff. But you're going to have one of these one of these games, especially against a team like the Suns, who seem to be semi upstarty right now, as far as the teams that might not be expecting them to punch them in the face. So I was frustrated, but as the day went on, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know, it happens. Yeah, yeah I mean, I agree with that for the most part. It was an awful game to watch, but I'm not really taking too much else away from that. Um, as a general rule, I don't have too much to say about individual players outside of what I've said on Shamit. Um, Luke struggled quite a bit yesterday against Javon Carter, but still ended up with good numbers just because that's how good he is. Um, I think Zoo has kind of been, I don't know, apparently I'm lower on him. I mentioned in my game recap yesterday that he was outplayed by the Suns centers, and apparently a lot of people did not agree with that. I don't know, maybe I was just, not watching him or maybe I'm biased and just seeing what I want to see. Um, he did not, has not impressed me against either the Lakers or the Suns. Uh, I don't think he's been outright awful or anything. I just don't think he's really made much an impact. What have you thought of him? Especially what do you think of him yesterday against the Suns? I just want to see if I'm not the only one who thought he was kind of underwhelming. Oh, sure. Wait, which player? No, this is Zubat. Zubat. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was not impressed with him yesterday and he, and he missed Kaminsky a bunch and he showed this last year. I mean, I remember Brooke Lopez was a prime example. He's slow to kind of realize that he needs to guard the three pointer and he missed that assignment quite a few times yesterday. And I know that he had some offensive rebounds, I feel like, and some nice swats at the ball or whatever, but I was not, I was not keen on keeping him in the game, particularly, especially, I especially when you when you keep in mind the Lou and Trez synergy, I, I just wasn't I wasn't 
upset. I think I saw some comments on Clips Nation too. It was talking about needing Zubat in the game, and I wasn't upset about that. The weirdest thing to me was when Kawhi was taken out at like yeah. four minutes and then not put back in for two minutes. Doc kind of mentioned that he didn't expect us to win the game at that time, but still, like it was that was the weirdest thing to me, rotation wise. I mean, and of course, Pat Pat getting like fucking seventeen minutes in the second half is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, I just don't get it with Patterson. Like, I think on the whole, he's been fine. Uh, Warriors explosion, which is undoubtedly going to be unique occurrence this year, aside, like he's been fine against the Suns and the Lakers. But he's just so slow on both ends of the court. He's right. just not a threat offensively unless he's wide open from three. And even then, I don't think teams are exactly that worried about him. Defensively, I think he's really more of a center than anything else at this point. Like, he's so slow on the perimeter. Uh, he's best, like, he was deployed against the Lakers. Where in, in hindsight, it looks like Doc was smart to play him because yeah. that's where he's good is, you know, fighting guys off in the post because he's big and he's bulky. Mm-hmm. But in terms of defending out on the perimeter, which is something he used to be pretty good at, I just don't really see it anymore. So I just don't get it with him. I think that should be Mo Harkless starting, or if not him, then right. Jermichael Green. Um, I would also be curious to get more looks at guys like Terrence Mann um, off the bench and go with maybe like a Lou Mann, um, Harkless Green, Trez, and then one of the other starters. If Doc wants to go nine men, I'd kind of be interested in seeing Mann or maybe even Jerome over Patrick Patterson just to help juice up the offense a little bit with some ball handling and playmaking. Um, yeah, and what do you think about Doc's overall rotations and going with a nine-man rotation? I think it's been kind of weird, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange. I mean, cutting out Mann entirely was kind of weird to me, especially considering all the hype going into him, like we kind of mentioned earlier, especially the fact that we kind of need another playmaker and man is shown to be fairly competent with some good instincts uh, i guess that he's a rookie he's a second rounder so it's easy not to be completely you know in love with the idea of playing him substantial minutes rome even i feel like has gotten a billion chances and maybe we doc just got to the point where he's just like you know what i'm tired of giving this guy chances which i can kind of understand um but you know he's shown some flashes um I think the biggest thing to me, I would start Mo Harkless unless we, unless we had like a situation where we needed somebody to guard an Anthony Davis type like Pat Patterson. I think the idea to start Patterson then and to give him the minutes we gave him wasn't the worst idea against the Lakers, but against smaller teams, I don't understand the idea of starting him. I would start Mo particularly because I think Jermichael has a bit of uh rapport with uh, with Lou and Trez I don't mind the idea of maybe keeping him off the bench now it's a very like thin line as far as who to start between Mo and Jamichael to me I don't really I would I wouldn't mind either way but I think against the the league today which tends to be small anyways I, I would probably lean towards Mo um and just his switchability is is really is really useful um as far as Doc's rotations and the and the nine-man rotation I mean, I don't know. I think I wouldn't mind seeing Man particularly get some get some minutes and to see how we can do, especially just to take the playmaking burden a little bit off. Especially if we can mix him mix him around with maybe having him in there when when Lou isn't in there or something along those lines, or even with Lou, because I feel like when Lou's in the game, he's going to have the ball a ton and. I don't know what we're going to do to prevent that when Lou is in the game, you know? So Lou is just such a, 
is such a ball heavy guy when he's playing, especially when it's him and Trez and Kawhi isn't in there. Like we're running the offense through him and through that pick and roll normally or through whatever shiftiness Lou's going to do. So at that point, you know, how useful man would be is kind of uncertain. But there, if there are minutes where Lou's off the floor and Kawhi's on the floor and we can get a man in there or even, I guess, Jerome, I think that would be the most ideal. And that's really just spot minutes, like like five to seven yeah. minutes, yeah. you know? So I think that would be the best wrinkle that maybe we could do as far as the rotation goes and just get a 10th guy in there. Aside from that, I mean, I, I'm not too frustrated with the rotations. I feel like there's still some ironing out to do. Initially, I thought that Kawhi would be given like kind of the Chris Paul um, uh, kind of gloves going where he would be out at the end of the first and then back at the nine-minute mark of the second quarter or something along those lines. But then they changed that up a little bit in the in the Suns game. So how we're going to handle his minutes. Plus, Doc mentioned a 30 to 35-minute restriction on Kawhi last game. So... I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's still some ironing out to be done, and especially if Pat Pat is taken out. Nice thing about Patterson is he definitely seems like a rotation player, which is nice. You know, I wasn't even completely certain how many minutes he would be given, but I could see I could certainly see him as a rotation type of guy, even if yeah, he's a definitely. backup five. Definitely mm-hmm. can see him being used on a more consistent basis than I thought he would be, even coming in and being signed with the Clippers. So that's a good thing. Um, but as far as the rotations, I think there's some ironing out to do. As far as whether Rome or Man gets playing time, they definitely feel like another another ball handler would be very, very good for this team. So I, I'm curious to see what happens going forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think it's an urgent situation. It's certainly not like Avery Bradley last year um, where it was just no, no. ridiculous that he was still starting and playing that many minutes. But um, I would – remove Patterson from the starting lineup, possibly from the rotation, but definitely from the starting lineup, get Jerome, uh, get Jerome Mann, get Terrence Mann, you know, a handful of minutes a game to see what he can do uh, on the defensive end as a ball handler. But I don't have too much else to say about um, the games that have already been played. Um, coming up, the Clippers play the Hornets on Monday at home. They play uh, Wednesday at Utah, Thursday against at home and then Sunday against Utah again um kind of a tough schedule the Spurs have played well so far the Jazz have not but they're still good and uh in Utah it's always a tough place to play and the the Hornets have been frisky um do you have any thoughts about the upcoming schedule over the next uh the next week that's tough I mean just I I guess I'm sort of a pessimist I think two and two is uh is something that I could kind of see Three and one feels like it's what we should do because we could beat the Hornets. The Jazz at Utah will be tough, just altitude game. The Spurs, I feel like we should also beat. And then that Jazz game at home, with how the Jazz have played, I mean, you feel like you should get a win there, but I feel like there is some between the Spurs. And that's also a three. We have a – that's a three out of four, right? Wait, so Wednesday, Thursday – Oh no! Then we have then we have uh, Friday and Saturday off. So actually, it's not as bad as I Monday, thought. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday is three and four. Monday, though. Wednesday, Thursday is three out of four. So yeah, those yeah. that Jazz game is very very concerning because it's going to be our third game in four nights, and it's going to be against a well coached team. That game probably is a kind of not a trap game because that's not really what a trap game is. But that's that seems like a schedule loss. Uh, that could be that that case. So I think I think three and one would be optimistic, and two and two seems also something that could happen. What do you think, Rob? 
I'd, I'd say three and one. I think yeah. they'll probably drop one of either at Utah or home against San Antonio. Right. Um, though I also think Kawhi might go off against the Spurs. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, so... Will uh, he play that at, game? Yeah, and I do wonder if it's going to be the Clippers' first back-to-back. It's also three games and four nights. I wonder if he sits or is load-managed one of at Utah or San Antonio. Uh, It'll be the first real load management test of the season. I mean, I know he has a minutes limit, and that I think they don't want him playing more than 35, and the ideal is around 31 or 32. But that's going to be the first real sign. Like, is he sat point bank period, or is he given maybe like 20 or 25 minutes? Um, I think that'll be really interesting to see. For my money, it seems like he might play. Um, Feels like it. But who knows? I mean, if they would rest him, I'm guessing it would be at Utah so that he could play against the Spurs in San Antonio. Um, but we'll this, see. That, I mean, that, I think that, they, that game. That game's in L.A. Oh, that's right. That's First in L.A. Game. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, think, I think the Clippers go 3-1 and one this week. Um, Utah has some things to sort out. They really – I think they're going to take out all their pent-up Suns frustration on the poor Hornets. Good, um, please. Yeah, and I, I, I really think they'll be able to, to beat down the Hornets pretty easily. Um, so yeah, I think three and one, two and two, honestly, wouldn't be bad. Like it's not great, but I think, I think, I think a three and one expectation for this team should be the expectation for this schedule. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I mean, I think four and three through the first seven games is not wonderful. Um, certainly not a disaster. It's not great. Five and two does look, it's just one game, but does look a bit better. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't think I really have anything else. We only have one Twitter question. Did you have anything else uh, you want to get to before we, we go into the question and then wrap up? Oh, oh my good friend, Shea Gildas Alexander, is playing very well, and I'm watching him very closely, and it makes me sad. <laughs> he had another good game today, 19-9-4, uh, and four, uh, after getting 26 points and then 28 points. He had like 28-7-4 and like three blocks and two steals against the Wizards. He had the game-tying shot before the Wizards just put them away with like a 14 to two run. And uh, he like got really hyped until the crowd to get into it. Shea looks so good this year, man. Uh, He's going to average 20 points a game. I would guess. So exciting. And I'm going to miss him. And I don't want, I don't want, I'm going to mention Shea every once in a while on this podcast. I want people to think that I'm like pining or like upset. That's saying, that's like, Oh, we should, I'm pining. I'm pining a little bit, but at the same time, I I understand that we had to do what we had to do to get this team. But, God, I'm going to – like, Shea is, like, such a good – he's just good. <laughs> he's going to be and so he's good. Really he's just really a nice fun. dude, too. Just, like, seems like a good kid, a good head on his shoulders, says, says all the right things. Yeah, and he's just so much fun. He has all these trick shots. He's just, like, he's going to be so good. Ah, it's just excited yeah, for him. Yeah, yeah. It's... At, the same, at the same time, I'm happy that he's going to just kick ass on the on Yeah, the I, yeah. he wouldn't be doing this if he was on the Clippers Thunder. still. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he's taking like at least 15 shots every game, and that just wouldn't happen if he was on the Clippers. Um, he's handling the ball probably not as much as I would like uh, because of Schroeder and Chris Paul, but he looks good. Gallo has been excellent for them, and he's been healthy, which is awesome yeah. to see as well. Uh, Chris Paul looks kind of washed. Um, yeah. Don't lie. Chris looks like he's checked out. I've watched a little bit of their games. He, he, just looks, like, he looks old. Um, he looks old done. and like he's Ugh. ready to go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, Shay is is great, and uh, yeah, the man to Shay comparisons were just so bad. I like Terrence Mann, but no. Um, if you didn't, if you didn't notice, like I really didn't give that any credence. Whenever that question came up, yeah, I was just upset. Like, Terrence Mann 
I think we'll have a good NBA career, and I still don't know if he'll ever score 28 points a game. Right. In a um, game. <laughs> yeah, in a game. I don't. I kind of mumbled that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think that's it for me. Um, yeah, we only have one question. So, um, Wayme giveaway. During the Lob City era, they had a tendency of not taking lottery teams seriously. One of those teams back in 2012-13, the Warriors ended up making the playoffs uh, by winning the season series versus the Clippers. Well, Suns end up being the new Warriors. Is there's still a trap game problem with the Clippers? Um, I don't think the Suns being the new Warriors that's uh, <laughs> that is a, a very hot take. Yeah, um, the Clippers. Shout, shout out to Bryce out of the Sun. I hope I hope somebody hears <laughs> that, that that question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think the Suns being like the Clippers of last year, I can see, um, sure, but uh, them being the new Warriors is a uh, that's. stretching it and the trap game problem i think it could be a problem this year but really we only have a one game sample size so i i wouldn't go that far yet yeah is is i wonder if they're gonna count lebron as a point guard with all-star stuff this year because booker i mean if the suns are a 500 team then booker probably should be an all-star right like at the all-star break like he's gonna he'll have the numbers but then you know lebron's gonna be a point guard and Westbrook and Harden will both will both uh, be picks. Um, what what are the guards are there at West that should be shoe ends? Mm, Lillard will be easy pickings. Um, so if those four are already guards that'll be in for sure, then it's going to be hard for Booker to get in. So I mean, I hope that if the Suns are good, and even calling them a five hundred team is a stretch. Yeah. But if they're if they're decent, then Booker should be an All Star. So I hope that if they're good, that he gets some kudos because it'd be a shame for him to miss out if this team is a calf decent. Like he he was great yesterday, and he's gonna have to be still gonna have to be great for them to be good. Plus, I mean, the thing about the Suns is they added three legit starters this this season, this off season with Sarich, Rubio, and Baines. And Baines, mm-hmm. I guess, might not start, but to me, he's like a legit starter on a good team. Yeah. So they're going to be better. They're going to be good. And I, I just wonder how good they're going to be. You know, I, I think we slept on them a bit and I don't think they're going to be a playoff team by any means, but I think that they're going to be a tough out. They're going to have more wins like this, this, the rest of the season against. Absolutely. Good. Absolutely. Yeah. I think they'll probably win around 30 games, which yeah, that's compared to the Suns the past few years is a, a huge a, success. That's a start for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably it for me. Did you have anything else uh, you wanted to talk about, chat? I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Gen, the podcast. I'm pretty much done. Um, get ready for your weekly Shay Gildas Alexander updates because they're probably coming. <laughs> uh, but aside from that, thanks for listening. Leave us a nice review on whatever platform you listen to us to. And as always, go Clippers!